Thank you for downloading our podcast. The prophet Hosea receives a strange command from the Lord. The Lord tells him to take a woman of the night to keep it clean for the pulpit. He is to marry a woman who does not protect the marriage bed, and he is to build a house with this unfaithful woman. How can the Lord order a prophet to do something contrary to his own will? What is the purpose of this book? Overall, what is the prophet Hosea teaching us today? I'm sure you've heard the saying that a frog will basically stay in boiling water if you progressively turn the temperature of the water up. Now, when we say that, sometimes we can become a little bit alarmist, where maybe we look at things and say, well, maybe this is a frog in the water that's slowly boiling up. But if we're honest, when, when we talk about Israel and what Hosea is saying with Israel, The temptation is to think, well, it's obvious they're just engaged in in gross immorality. And that's that's part of it. That's part of what's going on. But it's also a, a group of people that are doing this and selling it to themselves as religion. And and as you can see with the frog and the boiling water, the temperature slowly goes up, goes up, goes up, goes up, and eventually we get to Hosea chapter four. And this is a warning for the people of Israel. They think they're very religious. They think they're uh, pulling, the, the, uh, pulling the right yoke and, and following the right Lord. But the reality is they're more committed to a religion than to their God. So if we want to say, what is a problem of religiosity? That, that's really the fundamental problem, isn't it? That we're committed to a religion, but not committed to our God. Now, the, the solution some propose is, well, I just follow the God of Christianity, but I, but I don't follow his religion. Well, that's impossible as well, isn't it? We, we can't have Christianity and not have the God of Christianity. And so when we look at this, how can we be a religious people seeking to truly honor our God, honestly, wanting to, And not be a people who are engaged in religiosity, that is, doing outward things. And so as we look at this, we'll learn from what Hosea is exhorting Israel. We'll see first the people's demise, secondly the blind leaders, and lastly the cursed results. And so let's begin with the people's demise. Notice that there is a a distinct command to hear. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, this is something that in the English, we might not really see the significance of this. But this is really the indictment that the fundamental problem, if if you don't understand where this begins, you're not going to understand the Lord's frustration with Israel. Because the here goes back to a command that God has given to Israel back in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, what does he say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Point of that is that they have one God, first in priority. This is a God they are called to serve. So now when we hear this, hear, O Israel, this command, is calling back to us. What has the Lord revealed about himself? So notice when I say, not a problem with religion. What has the Lord revealed about himself? He is one, first in priority. This is who we are. This is who we are to serve. This is who we are to worship and follow as this one God. 
But we have then this reminder of the children of Israel. And the Lord is setting up this controversy with the inhabitants in the land. Well, this tells us a couple things. Some commentators take the land to mean the universal land, that it's the nations that the Lord is frustrated with. But he's already said, O Israel. So it tells us that he's upset with his covenant people, in particular the northern kingdom. But Israel is something else when we think about the origin story, isn't it? Because Israel was to wrestle with God. Again, this isn't with us uh, being uh, nuisances to God or, or being a pest to the Lord. That, that's not the point of the wrestling. The wrestling is along the lines of what the Apostle Paul exhorts us, try to discern what is pleasing unto the Lord. In other words, it's a continual wrestling with self to conform to God, wanting to pursue the Lord. So when he says, hear this, O Israel, he's saying, here's my contention. You're not wrestling with me anymore. You're, you're not struggling with, with what it means to be my people. And so the inhabitants of the land, when, when we look at this in Hosea, there's several places where he uses this. We think of 1 verse 2 where he tells Hosea to take a wife of whoredom from the land, from his people. So this is particularly from Israel. We have 1 verse 11, 2 verse 18, 2 verse 21, 2 verse 22. The land where you have this, this hope of great production, a land of milk and honey, a land where Israel hopes to receive blessing. 9 verse 3, the land of the Lord, a very specific understanding of having the land of the Lord contrary to, to going into exile, that these concepts are contrasted, which means you have the land of Canaan, then the foreign lands. So the picture here is a picture of the land of Canaan. It's important to understand that setting. I'd argue if we miss this setting, we miss the significance of what Hosea is doing. Because when you think of Israel going into the land, they're going into a new Eden. Hosea is going to play on this with Adam. But they're going into a new Eden. They are a people called to subdue the new Eden. They are a people who are called to bring about the glory and, and the presence of God on this earth. That is truly to be a heaven on earth. It's to be a heavenly sanctuary is the intention of what goes on here. That was the vision, that was the command, that was the call for Israel and their uniqueness. This again reminds us so much why we need Christ, the true priest, to go before us as a true Joshua, conquering our heavenly land, securing us as his redeemed. But as we consider what's going on in the problem with God's people, they're not living up to their name, they're not doing we notice then there's a series of sins that the Lord calls to their attention. Three sins of what we say are sins of omission, which means these are things you ought to do, you know you ought to do these things, but you're not doing them. So it's not necessarily a conscious rebellion in the sense that I'm going to go commit this sin, whatever it is. It's more, this is what I ought to be doing, but I'm not doing this. And so notice those sins. There's no faithfulness. Uh, this faithfulness is where Israel would have their exclusive relationship with the Lord. This is why Hosea takes an unfaithful wife. 
uh, that she's showing the role of Israel. Truly, they're, they're not tuned in to the one God. They're pursuing all sorts of God. Steadfast love, something that we know of the Lord's fidelity to his covenant people, that he shows his steadfast love to his saints and continues in that steadfast love. And then assurance that God is faithful to his promises, right? This is something that the Lord is asking us to show to him. Yes, Israel in a unique way, but even us in this day and age to manifest that steadfast love, that consistency but also no knowledge of God. Now, this knowledge of God is, again, it's not just knowing things about God. Uh, it's not just knowing doctrines or, or knowing who God is in his revelation. That's part of it. I'm not minimizing that. We, we are called to know those things. So uh, don't take it as, well, I just don't need to know those things. Yes, we do need to know those things. But the problem is when we lose sight of their implications. We might say, well, I know those things, but, but I don't really want to follow God and, and live my life in the conviction that, that these things are real and true. That's the frustration. Israel's pursuing religion. Israel's pursuing something that looks like love, but they're not pursuing what they truly know of the true God. And that's what the Lord is frustrated with. They're not showing and manifesting a true heaven on earth. But he goes on. And now he goes on to what we say are sins of commission. So these would be sins we consciously know, sins we consciously do. So he says there's cursing. Now we can minimize this and, and say it's just using foul language. But it's actually more than that. It's far worse than that. Because this, this cursing is actually calling upon another deity to manipulate that deity, uh, to bring harm to someone else. So again, it's not calling out to the one true God. It's looking at other false gods and saying, I want this false god to bring about this consequence that I desire. And so it's much like what we read in James, right? Trying to put yourself above the law of God, trying to put yourself in the place of God, determining who gets what, and then trying to manipulate deities to bring that out. And so Hosea is saying, the Lord's aware of this. This is not how we conduct ourselves. Lying, well, this is bearing false witness. Uh, you can find all sorts of things of this in the Old Testament case law. Uh, when you have false witnesses that would come forth, uh, a false witness who brings a false accusation by the case law would receive the very uh, consequence that the false witness was trying to bring about for someone else. So this is something that Hosea is saying, obviously, isn't just. It isn't right. Murder. This is just generally seeking to destroy someone, take a life, can fall into the category of cursing as well, or lying. All these things kind of fit together. Uh, but the murder seems to be more specific, trying to make sure someone's life is really taken from them. This could be an exploitation of the poor, not caring for them, and basically being like a, a murderous act of just letting them die and not really showing any concern. Uh, stealing is, again, something punishable uh, in the Old Testament case law, not what it, God's people are to do. Committing adultery, uh, this is what we can see in literal uh, not protecting the marriage bed, probably dealing with something with Baal worship and, and maybe engaging in uh, the practice with the cultic prostitutes, those sorts of things. Again, 
it's not just blatant immorality. You can hear how Israel is saying, well, this is just an act of worship. It's just how I, I worship another deity alongside of the true God of Israel. And the Lord's calling it for what it is. No, this isn't worship. There's nothing spiritual about it. It's just blatant and gross immorality. Going on, the shedding of blood. Uh, this is something where we're not sure exactly what this means because he's already uh, listed murder. Uh, but it might be something along the lines with the pagan worship of actually uh, forcing human sacrifices, which is what this might be referring to. So again, you're seeing how Israel isn't just saying, oh, we're not shedding blood, we're not murdering, we're not doing immorality. We're just engaging in worship with these other deities. And the Lord's saying, no, that's not at all what's going on. This is murder, this is shedding blood, this is immorality. But going on then, we might say, well, so what's the end result of this? Well, we have the land mourning. We have the reversal of the creation story, don't we? Because at Eden, we have the animals that are placed in the garden by the Lord's creative act. Here you have the Lord not only taking Israel out of the land by his threat, but basically leveling Eden, leveling his sanctuary, taking everything away that he has created. And much like you can find with sort of the flood narrative of returning the creation uh, to disorder and chaos. And so it's important to understand verses 1 through 3, Israel becomes an example for us. We can follow religion, we can uh, follow a false religion and, and sell ourselves and saying this is a good thing without really desiring and truly discerning who the Lord is. But now he gets more specific. So he moves on from the people in general to what we find in verses 4 through 6 with a fundamental problem with the priests and the prophets and the land. So we have the blind leaders. Well, Hosea now says basically, hey, don't contend with me, don't fight with me, don't accuse me, but here's my contention. Here's what I'm laying out. So it's important to understand, verse 4, it's not Hosea saying, this is my being upset with the priests of the land. It's not Hosea being upset. Hosea wants to be clear. This is the Lord being upset with the priests of the land. And so this is coming to the priests. And, and what are they to do? Well, they're to maintain the purity of worship. They're to maintain exclusivity to God, right? I mean, they, they want to call Israel to their Lord. They want to properly practice their religion. So again, it's not, I have a problem with religion or religious convictions. But it's a religion that tunes us into our proper focus of our God. That's where we want to be. And the priest has lost sight of this. They're not worrying about worshiping the true God anymore. So it's important to understand, when we look at verses 1 through 3, we turn to verse 4, this is why the Lord is upset. The priests should be calling Israel back to the true worship of the true God and not to the false worship and facilitate that in any way. And so when he goes on with the priests, he speaks of them stumbling by day and the prophet stumbling with them by night. Now, you might say, well, what does this mean? Well, the stumbling by day is normally something that we would not expect, right? I mean, when we have daylight, we can see clearly. We don't normally 
expect to trip on stuff. I mean, certainly we can have klutzy moments, and we can. But by and large, we can even go back and see what we've tripped on and what's made us stumble, right? I mean, by day, you don't stumble because you're walking in the light. This is what's going on with the priest. They're not walking in the light. And so they're stumbling by day. That's what the prophet's saying. He's saying it's so obvious of what's going on with Israel that in broad daylight you are tripping and stumbling and you're saying, oh no, everything's fine. Everything's good. And you're saying you can barely get from point A to point B, which is 50 feet, without stumbling and tripping. Everything's not okay. There's a fundamental problem. Now the meeting with the prophet at night, this isn't Hosea. But what's most likely this is a reference to is that the priests would probably be meeting with the prophets of Baal or false prophets and they would receive some prophecy at night. So now this makes uh, this make more sense in terms of what verse 5 is saying, that we stumble in the day or the priest stumbles in the day and stumbles at night. So the priest is receiving false prophecy from the false prophets it is then taking that false prophecy and presenting it as if it's the word of the Lord. This is a problem. They have the Torah. They have the instruction from Moses. They know who the Lord is. Remember how it began. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Well, chapter 4 is calling to our attention. Hear the word of the Lord. Know who the Lord is. And so you have in verse 5, they should know better than to take these false prophecies, treat them as gospel truth on par with Moses, and bring them to the people. And so when the Lord says this, he's saying, this is my indictment. My word is clear. I've given my revelation. You know the true prophets from the false prophets. You're not following the true prophets. So now what happens? Well, we have these harsh statements. They're going to be destroyed for lack of knowledge. And again, the knowledge is not because God has failed in some capacity. The knowledge is that they've lost sight of their God. They are those who have forgotten who the Lord is. They have forgotten what the Lord is going to do. And so the Lord is going to forget their children. Now we hear that and say, well, that sounds harsh. But what's really harsh is something I skipped over in verse 5, where the Lord says, I will destroy your mother. I mean, let, let that sink in for a moment, what the Lord is, I mean, that is, that's a harsh statement. And you're saying, but, but it's not the mother that did this. It's the people that did this. What, what, what is the Lord doing? Well, again, if, if we want to take the word of God and isolate it, Right? We, we want to just basically take this passage and isolate it and act like there's no other scripture. We're going to have a hard time with this. But when we put this in the context of scripture, and we hear the Lord promising to destroy their children and destroy their mother, this tells us something radical about what the Lord is doing. You see, in Genesis 3.15, and I'd argue we have to go back to Genesis 3.15 to understand this. The Lord promises that through the seed of the woman, he is going to crush and trample the serpent. And it's through the seed of the woman, through childbirth. This is why genealogies and the gospels are so important. You're seeing how the Lord was faithful to his promise. 
The Lord is saying to Israel, listen, I'm not promising to trample Satan. I'm not promising you victory. You are going into exile. You are going into chaos, into a foreign land. And so the destruction of the mother and the children is not God on, on an angry, unjustified war path to just murder every mother and to murder every child. We take this as the understanding of the Lord's intention of what Israel has done. You have failed to recognize who I am as your God. The assurance, the peace, the promise of the gospel, my disciplinary action is being removed from you. The assurance of being brought near to me is being removed from you. This is what we've talked about in the Canons of Dort, head chapter or section 5, <clears throat> of the reminder that the Lord does hand us over to our sin. And there's times where we want to push the Lord and push the Lord and push the boundaries of grace. God will say, go, get it, pursue it. And then there's moments where we have the interruption of our faith. We don't feel the peace and mercy of God. This is not something light. This is pretty heavy what the Lord is saying and how the Lord is warning. And so these verses, not very encouraging. But going on, we find that the Lord goes on to speak of more curses that are promised in verses 7 through 9. We find that, that there's more problems going on. Not, it's with the priesthood, but it's also with the people. And what's happening now is you have people joining the priesthood. It becomes beneficial. And so when, when we look at this and we say, okay, what are the requirements for a priest? Well, they have to come from the line of Levi. Uh, they need to have the genealogy. They, they need to have that credibility. Uh, they need to be put in by the will of God. And so you see how God and his providence and how they cast lots for the high priest, being the high priest, serving in certain capacities, etc. The implication here is anyone who wants to be a priest is going to be a priest. And it becomes glorious. And, and so it becomes sort of this situation like you have with the Pharisees, right? When Christ walks the earth, talks about how they parade around in their glory and enjoy all the benefits of their glory. And we say, okay, well, you know, there, there's certain benefits that the priests had. Maybe, maybe it's not so bad. I, I don't know what's, why Hosea is so upset. Well, Hosea doesn't leave it to our implications or our imagination, does it? Verse 80 goes on, you basically feed um, the passions or the immorality of the people. And so we, we, we find why, why this is a grave sin. Again, instead of calling Israel to account and saying, we don't worship Baal, we don't engage in cultic prostitution, we don't redefine the terms of our religion, we, we don't incorporate pagan worship into our worship we, we don't do these things which is what the priests ought to be doing but they're not they're taking the glory the benefit they're saying this is what the people want this is what i want i'm going to pursue it notice what he says it's not just that that they want to sin right so we can read of kings where they don't always take down the high places or they don't always purify or reform Israel as they ought. But, but yet you can hear the commentary that, that it still speaks pretty favorably of the king. 
In other words, it's sort of like we, we don't know. Maybe they didn't have opportunity to do the full reforms they wanted to do. Maybe there were circumstances we don't understand. Um, and, and so they, they wanted to, but just for whatever reason, it didn't happen. That's not verse 8. Verse 8 is telling us, it's not that the priests want to do reform, but, but something's staying in their way. They're greedy, that, that, that they're, they're, they're like the, the stereotypical evil person rubbing their hands together and, and just seething and loving any opportunity to be immoral. That's the situation that Israel is in. That's what Hosea is saying. It's not that the priests are kind of just turning a blind eye, and that's wrong, but it's, it's that they actually want to pursue Israel in, in this. They, they want to pursue immorality, incorporate this into their religion, and tell Israel, oh no, this is peaceful. This is honorable. This is good. This is what God wants. And Hosea is saying it's not what the Lord wants. This is wrong. But going on, the Lord gives the assurance that as they're leading the people astray, as we're all prone to wander, we have then the assurance that they're all going to be punished. So when they go into exile, they can't say, well, I never saw this happen. How can the Lord do this to me? You know, we've seen this even when people all of a sudden get handed over to their sin. Well, how did that happen? I never saw that coming. Well, you push against the boundaries of God enough. He's going to give you what you want. And so when, when we hear this, Obviously, these aren't verses we're going to turn to in moments of turmoil or strife or, or struggle within our own lives. We might say, well, what, what do we really do with this? Because it, it's not really easy to even work through this and meditate on these verses. There's, there's a lot of stuff that it's, it's pretty tragic to think about who we are as human beings. And as we even think about Hosea taking an unfaithful wife, she represents us. She doesn't represent others. She represents us, a people prone to wander, a people prone to false worship, a people prone to pursue false gods and her idols. So we start hearing verses 1 through 9, and we say, wow, what's the point of going on? Because if we're honest, we don't always worship God. In fact, we don't come worshiping God with a heart fully set on him as we ought. We don't come together and have the right view of God always. We don't always truly know God. We grow in this. And so again, we might say, well then, what's the hope? Why stay? Why, why follow this God if we're never going to measure up? See, this is the problem with religiosity, isn't it? Because Israel is creating a religion that makes them feel good. They're creating a religion where they can meet the standards on their own terms. And they're saying, well, God has to be pleased with me because look at all these spiritual things I'm doing for him. That's the problem. Israel thinks they're worshiping God properly. They, they think they're meeting the mark. And they're not. You think of the Pharisees. They are so perfect, they don't need the source of redemption, so they send Christ to the cross. You're not my Messiah. You're not the Messiah I, I know and I've set up in my own mind. Therefore, you go to the cross and you die. What does the Lord want? Where do we find comfort? 
Where do we find peace and assurance? Well, I wanted to go through James because James does subtly remind us. Well, what does the Lord fundamentally want? He wants a people who have our hearts flayed open before him. We think about what the prophet Micah says, which is also why I wanted to use Micah for gospel of assurance. We can think of the prophet sometimes laying out this harsh view of God. But what does Micah tell us? God wants us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8 We have to understand why the Lord pursues the unfaithful people. Because we need redemption. And what Hosea is laying out is we come to a fundamental problem when we no longer recognize we need redemption. We come to a fundamental problem when we think we no longer need Christ and we can stand on our own two feet. And this is why the Lord's ripping them out of the land. He's saying you need to be reoriented, refocused, and repurposed. And understand that life only comes in Christ Jesus and bowing one's knee to him. When we hear this in Hosea and we think of even the canons of Dort, we can stop at saying, well, the Lord hands us over to our sin. But the canons of Dort goes on. Why does the Lord hand us over to our sin? So that he renews us, reshapes us. So we come back with, with a new passion and new vigor for our God. Now, I'm not saying pursue sin so you have the passion and vigor because the canons also warns there may still be consequences as a result of what has ever happened. But what we have to see in the beauty of this in Hosea is that the Lord does not abandon his people even as they have abandoned him. His steadfast love does not fail when the people's steadfast love has failed and turned cold. And so what do we do with this then? How can we be religious where we began without engaging in religiosity? It starts with truly knowing our God. Because clearly God's not against religion. There, there are practices, there are ways in which we come before him, the confidence of what he has revealed. There, there is a system that God has ordained and, and set before us. The problem is, when we trust in the system, and we trust in things other than our God. That's when we start falling into religiosity, where we just do mere practices and we lose sight of the living God. So as we look at this and we hear of the call for us, we need to recognize that our fundamental desire is to love our God, to understand why Christ has entered history. He didn't enter history for a perfect people. He didn't enter history for a people that are worthy of affection and love. He entered history for us. People have rebelled. As Isaiah 53 tells us, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And as a good shepherd, he rounds us up. Let us then not push the boundaries of the Lord's grace. Let us not be a people who try and invent more creative ways of coming to know him apart from what he has revealed to us. Let us not redefine God in a way that he has not defined himself. Let us truly know him and know who he is, a shield and defender, 
the one who goes before his people. And let us then walk humbly with our God, enjoying the union and communion we have with him. And let us understand that as we conform by his grace and mercy, and we come to know him in a more real and true way, that living within the boundaries of his grace is true life. It's true life. And let us continue then to desire to have the Lord chip away at the hard edges so that we are more tender to his purpose in recognizing that life is only found in Christ Jesus and his perfect redemptive work. That he is the one who does not fail. The one who has shown exclusive steadfast love and fidelity to the purpose of the Father. Let us walk in him by the power of his spirit and let us offer ourselves as living sacrifices, living out of gratitude, even as we struggle to live under the sun. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope that you were edified and encouraged this gospel message. Belgrade URC is a Reformed Bible-believing confessional church that is based in Belgrade, Montana. Please visit our webpage, urcbelgrade.com, that is U-R-C-B-E-L-G-R-A-D-E.com, to find out more information about our church and utilize our sermon archive. Most of all, we hope to see you sojourning and fellowshipping with us each Sunday. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.